Hey fans of Biblical Genetics, this is Dr. Rob. You're about to hear a presentation that I developed for the Swedish School of Theology in Uppsala. They had a creation conference. They invited a bunch of creationists around the world to do presentations, and I chose to present on the biblical Adam. Now, this was a CMI production, Creation Ministries International. That's my main employer, but they didn't want the video after I made it. So I said, oh, well, I don't want to waste it, so I released it on my YouTube channel, Biblical Genetics, and I ripped the audio to share with you here. Um, there's not much uh, Biblical Genetics branding in this because this is me and my, you know, wearing my CMI hat, uh, but it's for you. It should be interesting. It should be fun. I give you seven reasons to believe in the Biblical Adam. But before we get there, I want to tell you about a new exciting milestone I just reached. Now, I don't have my finger on every single uh, podcast download, but for the ones that are being tracked with the service that I use, I just hit 10,000 downloads. That was a total surprise. I did not expect that. Um, thank you all so much for listening. I know that some of my episodes have been better than others. The sound quality, I'm always struggling with. This particular one coming up, I filmed in the CMI studio in our, in our sound stage, but it sounds terrible to me. But my ears aren't good enough to really know. I can't do sound editing. I just don't hear well enough. So I hear a rumble. It's there. So forgive me if you hear it also, uh, but I am doing my best here. Um, I don't know what, what happened. I think just a little cheap lapel mic that I used wasn't great. I should really invest in a, a nicer studio quality microphone. I just haven't had the nerve to do that yet. Anyway, uh, just rambling because I'm loving this, really enjoying producing things for you. Forgive me that it's been so long uh, since uh, my last, last episode. Basically, I didn't expect to have a seven-month hiatus, but, you know, life situations change and interest levels change, but I am back on target here, and I've got a whole bunch of episodes planned for you because this is fun, it's exciting, and I love learning about the Bible, about God, his creation, and my favorite subject, genetics. I'm Dr. Robert Carter. I work for Creation Ministries International in the U.S., and I'm going to present to you now seven reasons to believe that Adam was real. Yes, the biblical Adam the sole ancestor of all people who have ever lived. The sole genetic, the sole genealogical, the important biblical figure that has important New Testament ramifications. Now, as I go through this, though, I don't want to fall into confirmation bias. I do understand that the scientific process is a negative process. We weed out hypotheses. We try to disprove things. It's very hard to prove anything in science. Einstein understood this. He is reputed to have said, a thousand experiments cannot prove me right, but a single experiment can prove me wrong. So he got it. He knew that you can build up a case for anything you want, as much information as you want, and yet one person can come along and say, wait a minute, this disagrees with your idea, and the entire thing can just collapse. I know that. And yet, we're talking about a historical event, a historical person, and we're not there. We can't go back in time to witness Adam. All we have is today and the experiments we can run today, the information, the data we have today, and we can extrapolate back into the past with caution. Now, there's a caution for the evolutionary community as well as the creationist community. Both of us have the same issues. That is that historical science is not the same thing as 
operational laboratory science. What we can do in the lab today is not the same thing as what happened in the past. So with those caveats in mind, let me give you my seven reasons to believe that Adam was real. Now these aren't in any particular order of importance and there's a lot of overlap between the ideas, but this should be kind of fun if you just consider it uh, in the way that I'm going to present it to you. The first reason to believe that Adam was real is seen in the explosive population growth of the modern human population. Clearly, we're not that old of a population. We were a very small population a very short time ago, and it did not take long to grow into seven and a half billion people across the world. Even starting with Noah, forget Adam, let's go forward in time to Noah, maybe 4,500, maybe 5,000 years ago. His three children and their three wives are reputed to be according to the Bible anyway, the ancestors of all the world population today. All you have to do is double that population from 6 people to 12 people, 150 years after the flood. From 12 people to 24 people, 300 years after the flood. If you keep doubling that population every 150 years, you will more than exceed the number of people alive today. So the population growth curve not only fits a biblical picture that we came from a very small population, but also could easily be explained in the biblical time frame. We can see evidence of this in the allele frequency distribution. Hmm, big words there. An allele is just a genetic variant. Frequency, of course, is how frequent it is or how often it appears in the population. So when we look at the genetic variants in the human population, we see a lot of really rare variants. Um, I have mutations that are found only in me. You have mutations found only in you and your family or your, your tribe, your country, wherever you're from. There's very rare variants in the world. The reason these exist is because the population has expanded exponentially. During exponential growth, it's more likely that any given person will have children. Therefore, it's more likely that the variants that that person carries will be passed on and allele frequencies freeze in expanding populations. We see the, um, the Y chromosome data. We see in the mitochondrial chromosome data, it looks like our population has exploded from a small population. In fact, Y chromosome mitochondria from one person for each. And that explosion of population is fits with the Bible and Going back to one person for the Y and one person for the mitochondria, that also fits with the Bible. So all of the exponential growth data that we can accumulate looks like it's biblical. The second reason to believe that Adam was real is seen in the Y chromosome uh, mutation data. There's very little diversity amongst all human Y chromosomes. I mean, the two people that are farthest apart are only a couple of hundred mutations apart that can easily be explained in the biblical time frame, we have several hundred generations from our Y chromosome ancestor, Noah, not Adam, but Noah, and therefore a few hundred mutations. Okay, that's not a big deal. We're right in the right ballpark there. That time frame is biblical. So clearly we came from one man recently. The same thing, by the way, can say, be said for mitochondrial Eve and the mitochondrial genome. Recent is only dozens usually of mutations separating any two given people, a hundred or so at the most, and that can easily be explained in the biblical time frame. The third reason to believe in a biblical Adam is the fact that there's only one Y chromosome. 
This does not have to be true in the evolutionary model. If we came from a common ancestral population with chimpanzees, that population would have had a diversity of Y chromosome types, maybe Y chromosome type 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Well, as that population diverged into humans and chimpanzees, this ancestral chromosome 1 could be found in chimpanzees and humans. Ancestral chromosome 2 could be found in chimpanzees and humans, meaning it would have been possible for two humans to be more different than a human was to a chimpanzee on the Y chromosome. Now that's not true. The evolutionary explanation is, oh yeah, we went through a population bottleneck in Africa and all the genetic diversity was lost, therefore we have a, a single Y chromosome ancestor just because of math. Okay, fine, but that is an after-the-fact explanation, post hoc. No one predicted it before they saw it, and it was entirely mathematically possible for humans and chimpanzees to share Y chromosomes. Yet, we don't. The human Y chromosome is extremely different than the chimpanzee. The same is true of the human mitochondria. The fourth reason to believe in a biblical Adam has to do with the amount of genetic diversity seen in the modern human population. There are a few tens of millions of variable positions in the human genome. About 10 million or so are found in all world populations. So if you're anywhere in the world, at some location in the genome, you have an A or a T, or you have a G or a C. Well, most of those sites are also biallelic, meaning there's only two variants that could easily be put into Adam himself. Forget Eve, you could fit it all into Adam. I wrote about this um, in a 2011 article on creation.com called The Non-Mythical Adam and Eve, Refuting Francis Collins and Biologos. Collins had been saying things like, there's no way you can develop the level of variation between us from one or two ancestors. That's not true. His colleague Dennis Venema said, you'd have to postulate that there's been this absolutely astronomical mutation rate that has produced all these new variants in an incredibly short period of time. Those types of mutation rates are just not possible. It would mutate us out of existence. That's absolutely not true. You can easily put all that genetic variation right into Adam. It's even easier if you have Eve. It's even easier, easier if you don't assume that Adam and Eve's reproductive cells are all identical, because God could have front-loaded them with as much genetic diversity as he wanted to. It is trivial to put the common genetic diversity found in people across the world into that first founding couple. I followed this up with a 2016 article in the Journal of Creation uh, with my colleague Matt Powell, The Genetic Effects of the Population Bottleneck Associated with the Genesis Flood. We just looked at how much genetic diversity would be lost at the flood, and it was significant, but in a later paper in 2018 called The Effect of Population Sizes and Loss of Diversity During the Flood Bottleneck, I calculated that between 30 and 50% of the pre-flood diversity that God put into Adam and Eve would be lost at the flood, but it depends upon how closely related Noah and his wife are, how closely related the three uh, wives of Shem, Ham, and Japheth are, and how closely related they are to Noah and his wife. So depending upon that, if you did the, like, the maximum relatedness possible, you lose about 50% of the pre-flood genetic diversity. Probably though, they're not perfectly all you know, brothers and sisters, so therefore you lose about 30%. Okay, take the amount of genetic diversity today, double it, you can still put it into Adam. This is not a big deal. The fifth reason to believe in a biblical Adam deals with the distribution of genetic variants. I've already hinted at this a little bit, but most alleles, most genetic variants are shared worldwide. There are zero 
race-specific genetic variants. And I don't want to use the word race, but I just did. And let me explain this way. You can look at Africa. There are you know, a certain number of genetic variants in Africa. There are zero genetic variants in Africa that are found in 100% of Africans to the exclusion of everybody else. There are no genetic variants in China that are 100% in China and nowhere else. Those things don't exist. There are things specific to China, specific to Europe, specific to Africa, sure, but they're rare. They're only a subset of the population. We can't actually separate races, the traditional classical races, with genetics. And the other problem is that when you look in between, like in Central Asia, you get people that are in, in between, they're intermediate. So in the past, people tried to take the extremes of human genetic diversity and partition them into different races, but that was false because there's a gradation from one end to the other. There's not a nice line of demarcation where we can separate the different races. That's not true. This is wonderfully consistent with the idea that we all came out of Babel, by the way. Something else really interesting about the distribution of alleles is that the real-world data, specifically the chromosome 22 data from the Thousand Genomes Project, fits very nicely with the Adam and Eve, created diversity, Noah's flood, and the spread of the population after Babel. We modeled this, we reported this in a 2018 paper at the International Conference of Creationism. Uh, John Sanford is the lead author of that, uh, called Adam and Eve Design Diversity and Allele Frequencies. Not only do we show that creationist ideas of genetic diversity fit beautifully with the real-world data, the evolutionary model was the worst fit out of all the ones we tested. So it's not true that Adam and Eve can't explain the data. Adam and Eve can explain it very well. The sixth reason to believe in a biblical Adam deals with the irregular mutation rates. We can see both in the Y chromosome and the mitochondrial trees that there are people that have common ancestor, and yet one of the people has more mutations than his cousin or her cousin. This is troubling. It means that mutations don't accumulate at the same rate in all populations across the entire world over time. It means that the different branches on the tree, even though they're the same age, are of different lengths. Therefore, you cannot assume a molecular clock exists. You cannot assume where that Y chromosome mitochondrial ancestor was. Now, more than likely, that person is in the middle of the tree somewhere, and the farther to the edge you get, the less likely it is. But the reason that Y chromosome Adam is on an African branch in the evolutionary model is they look at the two extremes and they go to the halfway point and that halfway point happens to be at the beginning or near the beginning of an African-only branch. But what if the mutation rates haven't been constant? Then you can't place that root. You can't do it. There's a biblical reason to believe that these rates have not been constant. Another paper that I wrote in 2019 called Patriarchal Drive in the Early Post-Flood Population. What I did was I said, okay, well, the Bible says that people used to live a very long time and that the lifespans decreased pretty much exponentially after the flood. Well, if you take that data and you apply some sort of a model of chromosomal reproduction per year, and especially in the males, because the females, the eggs don't divide, but in the males, the spermatogonia, they divide like crazy from puberty until the male dies. And the older a man is, we've measured this today in laboratories now, the older a man is, the more mutations he passes on to his children. There's a mutation burden with age. Well, what about a biblical mutation burden? 
If we just take the Bible and take this mutation rate we can measure today and extrapolate, uh, you can conclude that it's quite possible that Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth and the early patriarchs were genetic poison to the modern human population. Because if they had a child in, in an advanced age, and there's no reason why a famous, important patriarch would not have a younger wife, polygamy and all that kind of stuff, they would have been favored to have children later in life. Well, that child can be formed with a very long branch already in one generation. So the branch length at the middle of the trees does not necessarily represent time. It might represent the age of the patriarchs. No clock means no timing of events, and the root position is pretty much arbitrary. The seventh and final reason to believe in a biblical Adam is because the Bible says so. The Bible is very clear that we started with Adam only, that all people alive descend from Adam and only Adam. You don't need people outside the garden. You don't have to explain where Cain got his wife or, or the people that wanted to kill Cain came from because they were descendants of Adam and Eve. I wrote a, a really interesting article in a uh, Creation Magazine, 2014, I think it was. How old was Cain when he killed Abel? In the Bible, there's only one time statement that Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born. So between creation and 130 years after creation, we don't have any time statements. So that murder, when Cain killed Abel, they could have been up to 130 years old, 129, I guess, for, for Abel. They could have been great-grandparents by then. Adam and Eve could have been great-great-grandparents by then. There could have been a lot of people in the world. So where did Cain get his wife? Well, maybe he was already married. Or he just picked up a girl from the local population, which was growing rapidly. This is not a problem. It's actually uh, pretty trivial when you think of it that way. But not only that, the flood, Noah's flood, about 1,600 or so years after creation, puts a stop on all the speculation. Look at Genesis 7:19, And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. In Hebrew, that's a merism. It's a, it's a double statement. All the high mountains under the whole heaven. That's the Hebrew word kol for all and whole. Kol, kol. It's a double inclusive. It's a merism. means everything was covered by the water. So, according to Scripture, there was a flood and it was global. So, not only do we have an Adam and Eve, we have a Noah and his family. And that's actually where the modern human population has to trace back to. Uh, Genesis 9.19, uh, talking about Shem, Ham, and Japheth, says, These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. That's a pretty clear biblical statement that everyone in the world descended from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is important theologically. Consider 1 Corinthians 15.22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Yeah, super important here. Sin exists. The reason people die, the reason that Christ had to die to pay for sin, the reason we need a salvation, we need a Savior, is because we're dead in Adam, our ancestor. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. There are incredibly important New Testament implications on the historical Adam. A lot of New Testament arguments 
are, are couched upon the whole idea that Adam really did exist. He really is our ancestor. We really did fall in Adam. And if we get rid of that Adam, we have major theological problems. If you would like more information on this topic, I would encourage you to go to creation.com. Read about genetics. Look me up. You can just type in Robert Carter in your search results and you'll get a list of all the articles I've ever written, including a whole section on biblical genetics. Everything I mentioned is listed there. But in the end, there's no reason to jettison a biblical Adam from the science and every reason to accept a biblical Adam based on the scriptures.